Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 197. Hope everyone enjoyed the PGA Championship this past week. Um, Yeah, what can I say? I watched and I waited. Could Phil pull it off? Would Brooks make a run? Would Louie somehow slip past them both? Truth be told, I thought Brooks was going to win on Sunday. I just... I just didn't think Phil would hang on for the entire day. I thought at some point something would go wrong. I just, I didn't think it was over until he hit that nine iron and his ball was safe on the 18th green. And then when I saw the massive gallery, I didn't even know if he would make it to the green. Yeah, Phil, Phil defied age and history, won a major at the age of 50. I wonder if he will get any press attention leading into the U.S. Open in San Diego. Maybe. I mean, can you imagine if he has a chance to win? All right, we're not even going to talk about this. Let's just enjoy the PGA. Congrats, Phil. Uh, yeah, just incredible accomplishment. So I've been sitting on this week's episode for a little while. I figured with this week and the NCAAs getting ready to start at Greyhawk, this would be a good time to release this episode. It's a bit of a different one for many reasons. First of all, um, there are three guests and a guest host. So, a couple housekeeping items to keep in mind when we talk about this episode. We recorded this episode outside on the veranda of the beautiful clubhouse at the Floridian right before the start of the Valspar Collegiate back in March. It was in the morning on the day of the practice round. The weather was beautiful. Everyone was engaged, really interested in what each guest would have to say, including a damn bird that was flying around and squawking the entire time. So, you're going to hear a little bit of ambient noise. No, that wasn't added in post-production. Those are honest-to-God birds from the Floridian. The other thing that we overlooked was actually introducing the guests. That's poor staff work by me. So, let me properly introduce all four of the voices that you're going to hear on this episode. My guest host on this episode is Ryan Chrysler. He was a previous guest on the podcast, episode 106, He's a trusted coach to tournament players in professional, collegiate, amateur, junior golf, everything. He's based out of the Butch Harmon School at the Floridian. That's where he often sees players like Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson. He sees elite players working on their games all the time. The first coach you're going to hear is Jonathan Dismuke, head coach at the University of Houston. Unmistakable voice, native of Mississippi. He was also a former guest on the podcast, on episode 181. Next up was Matt Thurman, head coach of the men's team at Arizona State. They're actually the host school for the national championship at Greyhawk. And then finally, Trey Jones, the head coach for Florida State's men's team. So again, you have Ryan, then Jonathan, Matt, and finally Trey. These guys had an incredible amount of insight to share with regard to the collegiate game. They specifically got into what they're looking for in prospects, how they get the most out of their players' games while they're on campus, and a few anecdotes along the way, even a couple stories about Brooks and John Rahm. So as we get ready for the NCAAs this week, if you're a junior golfer or a parent of a junior golfer or a coach or a mentor, basically if you're invested in some way 
in helping a young person further their experience in the game of golf, and that should be all of us, by the way, there is plenty of value in this episode. So before I kick it over to Ryan, your moderator, don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Still plenty of merch for sale. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. Okay, let's get started. Ryan, thanks for hosting this week's episode. It's all yours. So Ben is uh, going to let me host today. And if you're familiar with this podcast, it's a lot of stories. But I definitely wanted to hit the college kind of recruiting scene and kind of make it be the, the podcast that ends all recruiting podcasts. You know what I mean? I want, I want to hear some stories, kind of hear what I hear what I see and see what you guys want to see and just kind of go through it and we'll see what happens. All right. So I got a little outline here, but uh, I just want you guys to kind of take it away first. We'll do this, go with Houston first. And I just wanted to have you guys talk about, you know, your team, kind of what you guys do on a, on a perfect day and kind of what you guys look for in a perfect player and go from there. Well, I think the, uh, the important thing is to, to understand that perfect doesn't exist. So we're, we're, we're trying to um, obviously, do the best with with each individual guy but you know ideally like we're all chasing that that uh that little bit of improvement and 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 chasing on perfect and i would say perfect player would be somebody obviously that's that's got you know the physical ability to compete at a, a a very high level um the the social skills to navigate uh the college environment day to day without uh you know causing too many disruptions and then um academically somebody who uh achieves in the classroom that would probably be my you know description of a of a perfect player um you know like i said i've been doing this for a long time and i haven't seen anybody that's perfect but i've seen some pretty pretty darn good ones and um you know i think that would be uh, across the board that's that's pretty much all you can ask for Look for a you know a great team guy that's a four zero student, uh, sixty eight scoring average that doesn't need any scholarship. He's probably the best guy. <laughs> but as, uh, as as he said, you know we don't uh, those don't exist. Uh, I think you know they're never really guys are never really exactly what you thought they were. Um, they're so you're so limited in how much you can get to know them recruiting, and you do everything you can, but um, you learn a lot more about them year in you, you know a year or two in. Um, but yeah, I mean, how are they going to fit in with the team? I, I think in recruiting, it's easy to be, get competitive and, oh, you know, a lot of guys want this guy and he's the top ranked and I want him. But at the end of the day, you need the guys that are going to thrive in your place that are going to fit there, that want to be there, that you're going to connect well with, that you see them improving. You, you know, you look at them with the, the future glasses of what do they look like two, three years down down the road and we're really just predicting on you know what how that's going to play out because when we're recruiting them um they're still kind of developing as kids and then you know by the time we get them they're men well i, I couldn't agree with jonathan and matt more and the fact but so i'm not going to go into that but there's uncertainties that we're doing this and it's a crystal ball thing where the the players trying to figure out what's the fit for them and the uncertainties with that and and we are too because things are going to change the players going to change like Johnson said about his social skills what's going to happen but uh, you know what we look for is is a true love for the game and things that we can't teach um, and those things you know come about a little bit later but uh, the intangible talents and, and we'd, we'd all be you know wouldn't be telling the truth we're looking for low numbers and the player to get you to really low score. 
I think um, I work here with Claude Harmon here at uh, Bridge Harmon, Floridian, and you know we see a lot of juniors from practically all of the world. But there's definitely some common traits for the guys that really succeed, and I kind of have them written down here. I want to kind of see what you guys kind of react to it. But uh, one of the things that we joke about but we're serious about is these kids need driver's license. So it's amazing when you get that driver's license – how that kid suddenly becomes a little bit more responsible. And you kind of see that kind of reflect in the rest of his game. You see him come in with his belt on, wrinkle-free shirt, shorts, right? Socks that are not, that are matching, right? And then we like to see, you know, these kids being able to speak, you know? There's a lot of kids that just don't have a, not necessarily a public speaking background, but I do like sending kids to debate class, it's like that's a great elective to take in high school if your team or your, if your high school has it. But kids that are able to speak and communicate, tell me about themselves, tell me about their game, tell me about their swing, what they're working on, versus the parent that kind of comes in and or writes in an email. You know, this is what the kid's working on. This is what the kid's talking about. You know, so those are really it's kind of funny, but those are really kind of the key things we look at. Can they speak? Can they talk? Can they carry themselves in a conversation? And then they got that driver's license. It's almost a home run. And then, and then that final skill is winning. You know, we want these kids to win as early as you can at any level. You know, that's pretty much the ticket that gets you into college. You know, and if you can win at that kind of grassroots sectional PGA type of tournament, and kind of maybe graduate to a hurricane or a Florida State tour, and then they maybe AJGA maybe by your senior year, you know, that's a great formula for us. And we send a lot of kids to schools like that. Those are all great points. I mean, you know, what we see with the driver's license piece, we see some kids when they get the driver's license, they, they, their games really advanced. And then we see some that get their driver's license and their games decline. So, uh, I, I'm not 100% sure if it has to do with the license or, or what you do with that license after you, uh, after you get it. But, uh, but those are all great points. I mean, you can never, your point of view can never be truly understood unless you can speak or write. Um, and, and, you know, in today's deal, you know, communication tends to be more text and, and, and more shorter form, but when you have difficult conversations and you're going to have difficult conversations with your, with your players and, and, and with your team over time and that ability to communicate their perspective is invaluable. Uh, and, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because it, it's something that's, that's very underrated uh, in, in today's society. But, but you can't navigate the world without being able to speak and, and, and write. Uh, and it can't be your mom and dad. Right. I think uh, when I was a high school coach here at a local high school, I had, te- I had players get up in front of the team and just kind of go through their round. And I, I didn't necessarily do it just for a tournament recap. I did it to see how they would you know, present because I went to school at SMU and I was a pre-law guy. And so it, it just uh, didn't come natural for me to become a, a good speaker for sure. I was probably a better writer growing up. But putting yourself up in front of some people and talking, it's a, it's a skill. But it, it's a skill that you need as an adult, especially in life, not just golf. Most of these guys are, you know, very, very golf focused. Yes. And... Some of that stuff it isn't natural. Generally, they're more independent types. A lot of times, they're from families with you know, few children. Maybe their parents have done a lot of things for them. So, you know, the speaking and writing thing it's it's important for them in their life. But you know, if if that's our threshold, we're not, there's not going to be a lot of kids we're recruiting. Uh, but they learn it quick. I mean, and I think yeah. that there's things we can do in our program 
to help them with that. I mean, I think your, your point on the parents is interesting. I mean, I really like a player to take the lead in the recruiting process. And even when the parent asks me or emails me, I'll say, well, Hey, yeah, have him, have him send me something or have him call me or have him text me. Uh, because I think that's really important. It's a sign of, I think that maturity you're talking about and that confidence, uh, you know, I think someone that can speak for themselves, uh, that knows what they think themselves, that can take the initiative without their parents doing it for them. Uh, I think a red flag for me is actually when the parent seems to want it a little more than more than a kid and try to avoid those situations. But, but yeah, so I like, I like it when the kid leads. I think it's, it's impressive when the parent takes a step back and, you know, when you're on the zoom call and if the parents show up, the parents kind of lurk in the background or sit on the sides and don't answer all the questions. Uh, I want to hear from the kid and, you know, I don't, frankly, uh, we have close relationships with all our parents and they can call us anytime and we like having them in our program, but I'm dealing with the kid every day, uh, 24 seven for four or five years. So, um, that's the relationship that we want to build early on. And, and, uh, I love to see them be able to take charge of their recruiting process. And, and take charge is right. But when we sit down, I think any successful coach sits down with a player, it's, it's about them taking ownership. Okay, and if if it's our plan or if it's the parents' plan, then it's simply not going to work. So the earlier they take ownership and to their good rounds, their bad rounds, what they do, and um, I'll use, you know, we're sitting here at the Floridian with one of my best players. Brooks Kepka was great at that. When it didn't go well for him, it was on him. And you never hear him make excuses. So the sooner a person can can take ownership in what they do and understand it's about them, their name's on the scorecard, their name's on that grade report or whatever it is, then, you know, you're going to have successful. I remember uh, Jack Nicholas told my son one time, he said, make sure you play golf because you love golf. And right. you love what you do. Don't do this because your dad's doing it. And for him to say that with being as good a parent as he's been really has, you know, hit on to me. You know, I took that serious and I hope my son did. Yeah. Now you, you spoke about Brooks. Uh, we used to coach Brooks here at Pacharm Floridian, Claude. And would he be a great kind of recruiting story for you? He kind of blossomed maybe a little bit late in his college career. Well, better for me than Jonathan's. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually This is actually a great story here. Here we go. Well, I'll let you talk about sleeping in the parking lot in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, Trey and I have known each other for a long time, and, and Trey actually helped me get into get into coaching. Awesome. Um, you know, so my first job was at the University of Mississippi, and um, you know, we were we had communicated a little bit bit with uh, Brooks Kepka, and, and and I find out that that through his mom that he's visiting Florida State after playing. Uh, Florida Junior Tour event there at Southwood. Well, I know in my experience, if 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 Brooks shows up there and he goes into Trey's office, he's probably not coming out of Trey's office, <laughs> uh, not a Seminole. Yeah. So uh, I call um, our coach at the time, Ernest Ross, and I said, "Hey, I'm 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 leaving town. I'm heading to Tallahassee to watch Brooks play." And he's like, "Oh, oh, really?" I said, "Absolutely." He goes, "Where are you staying?" I said, I haven't got that far. I'll figure it out. So I roll into Tallahassee, and uh, it's about 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> and um, first hotel I go to, got no occupancy. 
So I just head straight to the golf course and 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 uh, sleep in <laughs> sleep in my car. And um, he's uh, Brooks has got an early tea time the next day. And at that time, he had a you know a, a big floppy head full of hair. Oh, yeah. and, and wasn't wasn't um, you know a kid that was overly recruited. I mean, to yeah. to be honest, I think it was probably maybe us, and we were a little late on the deal. And I think you guys were recruiting, and maybe North Florida, and maybe a couple other schools i mean everybody uh everybody was kind of on a couple different kids or whatever but i I watched him play and and it was extremely impressive round of golf and 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 like i had feared he uh went into trey's office and and came out of seminole (laughs) yeah and and, you know recruiting brooks was one of those that that i tell to other people and kind of goes back to what we talked about when he was in my office the only thing he asked me was, it wasn't about scholarship. It was, are you going to give me a chance to play? And I think a lot of people uh, assume when you go to a school, whatever scholarship that's being offered is what you value their game at. And when we're working with four and a half scholarships, it's more or less what we have available, not how we value them. And the notion that the three of us would play any player because they're on a higher scholarship is we're playing the people who deserve to play and the people that we feel like give our team the best chance to win now and maybe down the road in that. So um, he kept asking me, are you going to give me the same chance as you're going to give the other guys if I'm on a smaller scholarship? And I said, yes. Well, he's driving home and Jonathan, he didn't commit in the office, but he got to Orlando and called me again and said, okay, you're going to give me the same chance. I said, Brooks, I promise you, if you beat them, you'll play. He said, well, I'm going to walk in the lid store here at the mall and buy a Florida State hat. So something I'll never – but I think it's what he's done his whole life. He's bet on himself and not anyone else. He did it when he came to Florida State. He did it when he chose to go to the European side to play in a challenge tour. He bet on himself. Just His whole thing when he was determining what agency he would choose was, who can get me on the tee box? If you get me on the tee – then I'll take care of the rest. And I think he's done it with his endorsements as well, with incentive-based and things like that. So my advice would be to bet on yourself. And, and as, once again, there's the ownership. Matt, you got something there? Uh, I just love that there's a, you know, a recruit, what's he probably 16 years old at the time, that comes into your office and keeps pushing you to know the one important question that he needs to know, which is you will give me a shot. And I just, you know, that, that, image in my mind of him doing that's really cool it's that that maturity we're talking about that he has the self-confidence and the belief and you know that's probably what we look for most and uh, i don't need to answer that here but um you know i'm always asking what do they think of themselves what what do they believe about themselves and their potential and i want to figure that question out well if, if i had brooks kepka come into my office and say hey are you you know keep pushing me on if i'm going to get a chance then i'm like okay i like this guy yeah very nice. Is there a particular uh, player or recruit in the past that kind of shocked you in a good way that maybe you didn't think you develop into a great athlete, great golfer? Or maybe there is a recruit that didn't turn out. Maybe that's a story there too. I, I think every person that we sign has a ambition to be the number one player in the world. And, and it just doesn't happen at times. So I don't think we'd be disappointed if it didn't happen. It's just the reality. Uh, of of the fact and then on the other side because we believe in all of our players i don't think we're shocked either you know we're kind of like the parents in, the, in that matter so um 
I'd say there's, uh, I can tell you from a team standpoint, I usually go into every season thinking one player is going to play better than I thought he would. And one player's not going to play not as quite as well as he wanted to play. Right. You guys have like a regional approach to recruiting or you just kind of go everywhere go international, go West, go North, go South. Where do you guys go? I think for us at Houston, I mean, we, we recruit primarily uh, in Texas, so kind of that Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana uh, kind of corridor. And then we also recruit internationally. We have some international players. And I think um, I, I think that's that's typical for most. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think Matt would probably be a, an interesting guy to talk to as far as that goes because the, the, the demographics of, of his team are probably the most diverse. Right. I think it's really important to know what you do. Uh, none of us can recruit everywhere and be good at it. So I think having an area or some areas that you can really focus on and know really well, uh, you know, anywhere you recruit, you've got to know the coaches and the pros and the association leads and the young kids and the old kids and the past players. I mean, you got to know a lot if you're really going to connect with an area. So, you know, I've, coaching at a couple different places. Uh, my approach when I was at Washington was totally different than it is now as far as where oh, I went and what was the right fit for that school. Now, why is that? Well, you know, in the case of Washington, it was a, a north kind of a, a northwest school in the very corner of the country, a, a regional, you know, a huge school, but a more regional focused school. We had a lot of success just across the border in British Columbia. Uh, very large Asian population there. Anytime I brought an Asian player in, they loved Seattle. And so it was a good fit for them. Um, you know, Northwest, generally Northwest, because it was a good fit. You know, maybe some guys in California that had maybe slightly been overlooked by the USC's and UCLA's of the world, but were still great players, were, were also good for us. Um, so when I got to ASU, like, okay, you, you got to be careful because pretty much anybody is a good fit to go to ASU as far as, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to sound arrogant here, but I think kids all over the world could say, hey, I could really see myself going to Arizona State. So so choosing where to spend your time. I mean, if I went down to Houston and spent, you know, 25 of my 45 days in Texas recruiting, that might not be my best strategy. Uh, so in our case, we spend time in Arizona. We spend time in uh, we have a lot of Southern California players coming or on the team now. We we've had a history of great European players. Uh, right now we've got a Spaniard on the team with another one signed and, you know, Rom on the tour and, and Alex Del Rey that just graduated. So that's been a connection, both our men's and women's team. We've had a lot of Swedes. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just think I, if I, you know, speaking to coaches, I would say, Hey, you got to know what you really do and just do it really well. And just because maybe you could get some kids somewhere else, um, doesn't mean you should. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's fun to be able to recruit wherever, but I don't think you'll be very successful if you try to recruit everywhere. Okay. I think you'd be hard-pressed. Jonathan, find anybody that's recruited better than Matt in the last. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't feel, <laughs> you, I don't feel sorry. That's all for – you figured it out, I can tell you that. But uh, my deal of Florida State is probably very similar to these guys, and we have weather. We have that going for us. Uh, that's just a natural thing that people are drawn to. Uh, similar to Houston and uh, Phoenix, but we we try to start close to our house, and we know what our level is that we want to expect the players to play at, and we just keep moving out from there. So uh, the finances are important. So when you talk about in-state tuition versus out-of-state tuition, 
and how much it's going to cost the player uh, total to go to school uh, plays into it because a Florida player for us um, can co- can come to school a lot cheaper right. than someone 45 minutes away in Georgia can come to school. So mm-hmm. uh, I think we'd all wouldn't be telling the truth. We didn't say we look at in-state players just from a financial standpoint to stretch our four and a half percent. But then we just kind of keep moving out to get to where we need to get to. Um, and uh, like I said, I think we have a good mixture on our team right now. Do you guys recruit uh, kind of late in the high school career or early in the high school career, or is it kind of a mix? We all start early, but you get some guys that, that uh, you, you might have an early connection to that you might get a commitment from earlier. And then, you know, we've been very fortunate uh, on the back end to get some guys um, very late in their high school career that were, you know, kind of later developers and, and um you know, so it really varies, and, and and I think Trey mentioned this a couple of times. Like you're you're kind of subjective to to how much money you have available. So there's some years where you might not have a whole lot turning over. Um, and in that case, you might have some small scholarships, and and you might not get a player until later in his in his high school development. Uh, and vice versa, you might you know you might have a a natural fit early on. So I think we're all constantly evaluating. But um, you know when we get those commitments, sometimes it, it it really varies. We have one of our principles that we live by is that we're always recruiting every class. Uh, so we don't. Yeah, we're just. There's no start. There's no finish. You're, you know, we're recruiting the sixth graders. We're recruiting the seniors. We're always recruiting every class. Uh, I think it's changing, though. I mean, the rules have changed. Uh, so for a while, you know, it was it was pretty late in general. And then everybody started moving earlier and earlier in commitments. And I was a holdout. I'm like, this is ridiculous. We shouldn't be doing this. We can't even, you know, we can't even offer them anything yet. But everybody's, you know signing them. And I was like trying to play the principled guy and it wasn't working. Right. I mean, everybody was gone by the time I was willing to, to push forward. So I said, okay, fine, I'm going to start recruiting early and I'm going to, if we're going to go early, then I'm going early. And so then, so I went heavy early for a while and it worked. Um, but now you're actually, the rules have come back again, where I don't know that going really early is even an option. I mean, if anybody's signing somebody early now or, or committing somebody, they're probably cheating because you just can't do it within the rules. Um, so now I think we've got to go shift back. And there's a little bit of a, a transition happening right now because a lot of us maybe had some early commitments or had gotten quite a ways down the road with some recruits before the rules change. And then that just completely shut off. So maybe kids that we were talking to a lot, we haven't talked to for two years. And then come June 15th, we can finally get on the phone with them. Uh, so I think it's transitioning back to a little more of a later model. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe on June 15th, everybody, it'll be like the NFL, you know, first day of free agency where no one was allowed to talk to them, but all of a sudden everyone signed. <laughs> uh, but I don't think so. I, I think it's going to take a little while and it's going back to later, which in the end is better. We talked about them not really knowing who they are until they get their driver's license. I think in the end, it's better um, to have it later. But even that, we'll all be watching the eighth graders and the ninth graders and their tournaments to know who it is that we do want to recruit late. Very nice. Okay. I've, I've really, I, I agree with Matt. I've tried to hold out and I've always wanted to go as late as possible, but you do get put in a situation when a player comes in your office and says, I'm either going to go to this school or you guys, what are you going to, and I'm going to make this decision. This is my timeline. Well, 
then they've got the cards on their side of the table then. So you have to make a decision which way you should go. But I do think the more information a player can get and the older they are, the better they're going to make that decision. Historically, if you look at it, the younger a player makes a decision, the closer they stay to home. And why is that? Well, how many 7th, 8th, and ninth graders want to move across the country? They don't. So I think their their interests broaden. They think about what – I mean, we have freshmen on our team that don't know what they're going to do academically. So a 7th or an 8th grader, ninth grader can't. So pushing it back, I think, is a benefit for the player. Um, and it's just going to change the recruiting process, and we can handle it. And hopefully they're enjoying – uh, that little bit of time just to play golf. A lot of guys that'll be that'll be listening to our podcast, and a lot of guys, a lot of kids that we work with, um, they're probably not going to go to a big time D one school like you guys. Would you have any advice for them to follow uh, if they maybe go to maybe a D two, D three, maybe even a junior college? You know, I'm a big fan of this formula. Like you, you have to identify your purpose, and then there's actions that align with that purpose based off of where, where you are as an individual. And I'm really interested to hear Trey's perspective on this because he's got a kid that, that is arguably the best player in Division One golf right now that didn't start in Division One golf. But uh, you know, if your purpose is to play college golf, you really have to look at your skill sets and 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 where you kind of fit in the mold. And if you're if you're committing to play college golf, like you know, it, that might be at the Division Two level. It might be at the NIA level. It might be at the Division Three level. But if your purpose is to play college golf, you have to, you have to be open to where you are, um, due to the to the skill sets that you that you have at that current time. You know, and then the, you know the actions would be to make that decision to to pursue that deal, and then um, you know that doesn't limit you. You know, there's there's nothing in the rule book that says if you play. Uh, NAI golf that you can't go out and average 68 or 67. You know, it's it, the golf ball doesn't know what conference you're in. It doesn't know, you know, who you are or what you've done. I mean, it's it's an animate object and and it's and it's subjected to the skills that you can display. Right. I've already I've always kind of told our guys, maybe the kids that are not the standouts, but you know, there might be three or four or five more years of development. You know, so it may not be. You know, just this first freshman year of college that you're looking to shoot for, you know. So it's totally okay to go to a D2 school. I don't really like kids taking a gap year, but sometimes, you know, maybe you need to take that year off. Get your life organized. Play some more kind of junior tournament or amateur tournaments, you know. And then go commit to, and it's, you know, obviously you guys are looking for four years, but, you know. The way kids transfer nowadays, you know, it's pretty easy to transfer. And is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I'm not quite sure. I'll maybe have your guys' perspective. Just but for, I'm always trying to tell them to be patient. You know, be patient. There's just some- for the record, I would take Vincent Norman for one year. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no question. But I, I truly believe that players get better by playing. And, and if you look at the gap between the players who are traveling on our teams this week, the ones that are sitting at home that aren't getting the coaching and they're not getting the experience every single day, they're not developing as much. And and golf's such a weird sport, like in baseball, basketball, every other sport, when you don't travel, 
I mean, we don't when you don't make the starting team. I mean, you still get to travel in every other sport. And you're you're in the locker room. You're hearing the coaches talk. Golf, you're not. You're left behind, and you're not developing as fast. So, to get out and play and to be at a place where you can develop and be doing that is going to be better than sitting at home. I, I promise you that. And everyone has their dreams. And I do think you brought up the portal. That's probably why people get to college. And the cool thing is being here. I mean, look at this place and look at the experience these guys are having. Uh, so I, I, I know it's hard, but, uh, finding a place where you're going to be in a lineup, I think a good formula for me is if a player is choosing a school, if they play like they should play, not like they could, could, is, you know, their high end, but how you should play that you're going to battle for a spot as a freshman. Okay. And then by the time you're a senior, you could be a leader in an all American. If you can make that progression throughout your career, one of the misnomers is, is, hey, I'm going to work hard. And uh, I guess the bird disagrees. But if I work hard, I will catch them. Well, I actually believe that the most talented players develop faster. So the best players we brought in, actually, they just take off. So catching those guys through hard work is not likely. That was a good nugget. I like that. The most talented players improve. I got to think about that. That's a thank you for that. Um, this is a really tough thing for coaches because we know our role and we interact with in the course of a year, probably thousands of kids via, you know, email or whatever. And there, it is so hard and, and you just don't do it to say, Hey, you're not good enough because in this sport people can develop. And I do still believe that anyone can be great if they want it bad enough. And so to say to a kid, Hey, you're not you're not good enough for my team is just really, really difficult for me to do. Um, I ha- in fact, I had a player one time who got a letter from a school that was a lesser, quite a bit lesser program than us competitively that said, Hey, you're not sorry, but you're just not at our level. And he took that letter and put it on his board on his board. And, you know, once he committed to us and was playing well, he showed me a picture that this was his motivation. Like, I don't want to be someone's motivation. Um, and he ended up having a great career for our team and, and you know, proving them wrong. But, you know, I don't want a bunch of people out there saying, hey, Coach Thurman said that I, I'm not good enough or I'll never make it or I'm, I should be playing a lower level. Uh, but at the same time, we're looking for guys like Trey said that when they, when they show up, they're ready to, to go. Um, and... So to Jonathan's point, I think, you know, really understanding where you fit competitively is important. You don't want to be on a team where you're going to come in and get your brains beat out. Like that's no fun at all. You don't want to go into qualifying and be fighting for the eighth, ninth, tenth spot. Um, That's just not a fun place to be. Uh, So and and Trey said it, too. Like, it's not about, hey, what I could be. We all believe that everyone's going to grow. And on your best day, maybe you, you know, it's no. What are you, you know, day in and day out? Uh, And finding that program that is that fits you competitively, where maybe you're not way better than everybody else, but you're also not at the bottom. And for me, I think, you know, you want to pick a handful of schools, really research them, make sure they're the right fit, contact the coaches directly um, and and not some templated email that a recruiting service says, you know, that that's clearly written by somebody else, like contact that coach directly, tell them why you like that school, um, show them that you've done your homework, um, and explain to them why you think you're a fit, uh, and see how the coach responds. Uh, and then when you find the right fit, it's just so awesome. I mean, college golf is amazing. We all 
have been doing it for a really long time because it's so awesome. We don't want to do anything else. And I mean, I just, when you can get that right fit, it's a, it's a special experience, but if you don't get the right fit, you're going to be quickly looking for, for somewhere else. Right. Along those lines, uh, a couple of years ago, Claude uh, had a speech at the coaches conference. It was in Vegas. If you guys were, if you guys were there, we, uh, so we, he and I did some research going into that speech and we stumbled upon this, uh, Malcolm, Gl- Malcolm Gladwell talk about colleges. And the, uh, short story is basically is that, you know, if you're at the top 10 of your class at any college, most likely you're going to be successful at anywhere you go basically. And that kind of bottom third of the class, even at a school like a Harvard, probably not going to be that successful. And you get all these kids trying to go to Harvard, you know, trying to go to these top schools. And in golf, we kind of relate it to golf. It's like, do you really want to be that sixth man at Oklahoma State and maybe get one tournament, one tournament a year? Or do you want to be that third man at a smaller school like, I don't know, like Marquette, who's in the field, right? Do you want to be in that smaller school and you're playing every month, every week in a tournament? What would you guys take? Because what I, I always ask our juniors, regardless if I remember or not, is what's the tournament schedule? What are we shooting for? What are we planning for? Right? And I pretty much know when the next tournament is for each guy we work with. But I'm always trying to get them to play. And I think Claude and I's opinion is that I'd rather have you play as much as you can even if it's not for a big D1 school. Maybe it's a DT school. You know, maybe it's a smaller school, right? But if you're playing, most likely you'll develop a little bit faster than when you get your bearings beat in and you're the seventh man at Arizona State. You know? I mean, this this is awesome. It's, it's cool to be a part of these teams and compete at this level. Uh, it's not for everyone. <laughs> it really isn't. You know, I have a – my oldest daughter is a senior in high school now, and I think about where I would want – what I would want her to experience. And as much as this is the right fit for a lot of people, I wouldn't recommend, you know, jumping into the ASU golf program for everyone. I mean, it is intense every day. Um, and I'm all over you. You got to produce and it is not easy. Uh, and I don't know that I would even want that for her unless her dream was to be a PGA tour player. Um, and so I think understanding that too is a, you know, John said it earlier, really finding, you know, what your purpose is. Uh, it's, this is a tough road and it's only for a certain type of people that are seriously high achievers that, that want to be at the very, very top. Um, so I would, again, going back to that and, and thinking about it from my daughter's perspective, like I just wanted to go have a great college experience. And if she plays a sport, be on a team where she can compete, get, have a great relationship with her teammates and coaches you know, keep her athletic career alive, um, but also get a degree and and be in a great environment. I mean, that's what I would want most. And for those few people that uh, really want to go all the way in their sport, you know, places like ours and and these guys is a a good fit. I think it's well said. And it'd be like going to school every day and never taking a test. So if you're just practicing all the time at home and you went to the entire semester in school and never – and never had a test. And that's what these tournaments are. They test our players. We're going to go back and and be able to evaluate them, what they do under the gun and, and in pressure situations that we know that that 18th hole is going to throw, that the Floridian's going to throw at them this week. 
I'm going to take the opposite uh, perspective on this, play devil's advocate for a second, because I'm going to speak from my personal experience. And, and I, I'm not, I do not conform to the masses by, by any stretch. So, so take this with, with fair warning. But um, one of the best decisions I made personally was I picked the hardest school for me to play at. Uh, that was Auburn University. Um, the reason I did that is because I wanted to play the PGA Tour, and I felt like it was my best in my best interest to surround myself with guys that were better than me, that had a chance to play the PGA Tour. And I knew that it was going to be tough, and I knew it was going to be difficult, but I also had a, a good relationship to challenge. And I think for anybody to be successful, if they're, if they're going to go to, to Arizona State or Florida State or Auburn or Houston or, or any Division II school, the, the thing that I would encourage is, is, is you have to have a good relationship to challenge. And because it's not going to be easy no matter where you are. And if you're trying to do something that's great uh, and that, that, that's uh, above average and, and, and very few people – achieve that like you have to understand that like hey i'm going to fail and i'm going to put myself out there and and there's going to be times where my best is not good enough and that's a very exposing position to put yourself in and there's very few people that are that are open to that that comes to mind is a friend of mine his name is kramer hickok he went to texas he i think he uh he won his high school state championship but that was just about the only thing he won and he was in that Jordan Spieth year. He's good roommates, good friends with Jordan. And I don't think he – he may have played one or two college events. But he's kind of like that player that you were talking about where he just got his brain beat in, brains beat in every week, couldn't make the team. But it turned out all that storytelling and grinding out worked for him because he's playing in the Players' Championship this week. And – I think that's Jonathan bet on himself. You know, right. it goes back to that whole thing of I believe in myself and do it. And, and he's downplaying himself a little bit. <laughs> I hosted a, um, a major college event and I got to be the one in a playoff to tee off Jonathan Graham McDowell and Camilla Vajegas in a, in a playoff on the last hole uh, on the 18th hole. So he's a very good player in his own right, without a question. Very cool. They you took a, they, they took a little different line off the tee than I took, <laughs> if I recall. <laughs> He ended up in the same place. Yeah. All right, guys. It's been a great conversation. And before I give you the secrets to playing the Floridian course here at the Valspar, I'd like to have you guys kind of deliver us kind of one thing, the best thing, the best advice you would tell kind of an incoming recruit or family. What's one thing you could leave them to help them get into uh, college golf? I mean, I, I would personally recommend they 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 read the book uh, Mindset from Carol Dweck. That that would be the one thing I, w- I would say it goes back to what I was talking about earlier with with uh, you know. I don't want to interrupt, but I love books like that. Yeah. And uh, one of my top books is Start with the Why from Simon Sinek. Yeah, yeah. that's you, a great book to start with. You could you could start with either one of those, right. and, and you would be better day one. Yeah. Uh, a book I read and had our team read recently was atomic habits by james clear i know everybody's reading that right now but you know if i had one advice to give it would be that look the habits you're making right now as a 14 15 16 year old are probably going to be with you for your whole life uh so how hard you practice how you handle adversity um 
develop those habits and things will go well. I, I think so much, t- so much they worry about what the coaches think, where I'm going to go to college, how do I impress them, where are we going to go visit. If you just do your thing and get really, really good at golf and you're an awesome person and a good student, believe me, the coaches will be beating down your door. Uh, and I'm going to, instead of a book, I'll tell you what, one of the things I read uh, from a speech that hits home to me as a parent is Mike Dunleavy, the coach for the Portland Trailblazers. His son was coming up as a 6'9", really skinny basketball player, and he kept working on him, pushing him. You need to work out more. You need to eat more. You're, you need to get, you got to get bigger. Well, their relationship was going the wrong way. He realized that there's a lot of people that are qualified to be his basketball coach. I'm the only person who's qualified to be his dad. And when you realize what your actual role is and the most important role is, is I have a 15-year-old son. Nothing hurts worse than watching your child prepare for something and fail at it. But they're growing, and you have to let them grow, and that's just part of it. And it is tough, but you have to understand once again that other people are qualified are probably more qualified to teach or do something and be than you are. Let them do it and be a dad. Awesome. All right. Well, coaches, uh, so thanks for coming here to the Floridian playing the Valspar Invitational. Now the secret to playing this course, you got to figure out how to chip out of the green. That is probably our best defense on this course. And this is kind of the first year we've had some really good weather for you guys. And it's always been raining or cold or something. So, Get out there and learn how to hit a little cut chipper off this train and hope you guys do well. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Ron. And there you have it. Lots of people to thank on this episode. Jonathan Dismuke from Houston, Matt Thurman from Arizona State, Trey Jones from Florida State, and finally, the man, the guy putting me out of business, my guest host on this episode, Ryan Chrysler from The Floridian. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave some reviews in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.